Welcome to On Olive Oil, hosted by Curtis Cord, the publisher of Olive Oil Times. Featuring 30-minute discussions with people throughout the world, sharing their unique perspectives on the ever-changing olive oil landscape. This week's guest is renowned chef and culinary author, Diane Cochillas. You know, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok Americans, I think really appreciate this ability to slow down because we all need it. After all, we're all human. It doesn't matter where we're from. Now, from New York City, here's Curtis Cord. Today we're going to talk about an island in the Aegean Sea, Ikaria, where people are a little different. There are less clocks on the island because they don't care what time it is. Ask an Ikarian the time and you might get the response, it's late 30 a kind of running joke where everyone's late or early and no one really cares. It's an island where most people live in the rugged inland, a habit formed long ago so as not to attract the attention of pirates at sea. Most Ikarians make a living so modest they would be firmly placed at the poverty level in most places. Just 8,000 people on a stretch of salt-crusted, windswept rock who happen to live longer, healthier, and happier lives than just about anyone else in the world. Today, I'm so pleased to be speaking with Diane Cochillas, an Icarian New Yorker, well-known chef and culinary educator who has written a book that I love, Icaria, Lessons on Food, Life, and Longevity, from the Greek island where people forget to die. She joins us today from Greece. Hi, Diane. Hi, Curtis. After reading the book, the first thought that came to my mind was, I wish I had a family in Ikaria. The second thought was, at least I can give my family some Ikarian love through the dishes in your book. Have you had the chance to share the book with people on the island? They're proud of it. Yeah, I mean, the book is in English, so it's a little bit difficult for them to understand it. But certainly the pictures, which my husband took, uh, in fact... And, you know, the stories that people are able to understand, I think it's it's very heartwarming for them to see people who we all know um, locally in a book that's that's being distributed, you know, on the other side of the world. The island is small enough that older Icarians, and there are a lot of older Icarians, must know everyone on the island, especially since, as you wrote, people of all ages live and socialize together. Yes, that's true. There's, it's a very tight-knit community, and there's, no, there's very little, or I would say no age discrimination. In other words, people connect with one another regardless of how old they are. So, for example, my son might play a game of backgammon with somebody who's 70 years old. You might see people dancing who are on completely, you know, different, completely different parts of their lives, you know, an older person and a younger person. People are very connected to one another. There's very little alienation hmm. as a result. People don't feel lonely on Ikaria. You know, they feel like they belong to a community and people watch out for one another regardless of, of how old they are. Um, you know, it's a wonderful thing. It's very human. I wonder about something. As, a, as an Ikarian who lives in New York and Athens and busy with a cooking school, appearances and book signings, I imagine saying late 30 doesn't work too well for you anymore. Uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> You're a little more ruled by the clock these days than you'd like to be, aren't you? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say ruled by it. I would say nudged by it. 
So we talk about Icarians don't don't live by the clock. And that might sound like a radical idea to an American and especially to a New Yorker where the clock seems to tick, you know, in our in our veins all the time. Mm. I have to say that we, you know, we run cooking classes on the island week long, uh, several times a year in the spring and summer. And almost all of our guests are American, um, you know, from all walks of life, ma- mainly, you know, very, usually very accomplished people, uh, you know, good travelers, uh, people who adventurous, a little bit adventurous and interested in longevity in the last couple of years. And I have to say that when they arrive on the island, we there is a noticeable difference within about two or three hours. You can see it in people's faces. They simply, they just relax. Hmm. And as somebody once uh, said to me who had come, when I got to this island and I, you know, I stepped foot on it, I don't know, something happened to me. The sweet honey of indolence just dripped down on me and I felt deeply content (laughs) and i have this is what people experience so we have you know a wonderful time people um get a very different perspective on on life when they spend a week on ikaria and and engage with the locals and i think it's a real you know it's it's a life-changing experience for some people it's a wonderful time even even you know tiktok 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 americans I think really appreciate this ability to slow down because we all need it. After all, we're all human. It doesn't matter where we're from. Mm. Is there a, a longevity industry on Ikaria? Are there resorts popping up now? With, with, no. With, uh... Thank God. <laughs> no. So where do people no, stay? No. Where do people stay when they visit the island? Are there nice they hotels? Stay, when they come to our uh, classes, they stay in a very nice hotel near on the beach, which is about a 10 minute drive from our home mm-hmm. where the classes are and uh, you know there are several hotels it's a it's a small there are only 450 official hotel rooms on Icaria oh. so that keeps it that still keeps it pure right and we're all very thankful for that I'm sure you are when I read in your book that Icarians generally generally make a meager living I thought about studies that show that the poorest Americans are more likely to find their dinner at places like 7-Eleven or McDonald's than those with higher incomes. But you wrote, and I'm quoting here, Icaria's longevity diet is the Mediterranean diet of half a century ago, tailored to what was available locally and defined more by the struggle to procure food than by any contemporary sense of abundance. We're talking about poor people who didn't have the convenience of having at every street corner dangerous foods at low prices, aren't we, Diane? Absolutely. We're talking about people who have a very, very deep sense of dignity because they're self-sufficient. They grow their own food for the most part. Uh, I mean, we know people on the island who live, you know, basically with almost no money, and they live quite well in, in terms of having everything that they absolutely need, you know, food, shelter, company, wine, um, you know, so a friend of ours even goes, makes his own soap. Hmm. I mean, it's out of actually out of olive oil. Right. So it's, it's very different way to live. I mean, it's, it's a difficult way to live for somebody, for example, like me who grew up in a new, big city like New York, even though I live in Greece, I don't know if I could spend an entire winter on the island. There is something to be said about this this great sense of independence that comes from being self-sufficient. You know, these are not consumers. These are people who have what they need 
and they don't covet more than that. And they're, and and that's that's a cultivated for many people nowadays. I mean, 60, 70 years ago, that was by necessity. But today, that's often more a cultivated state of living. You know, we we choose to live this way. It's a tradition. No, it's actually a choice now. I Hmm. would say it is a tradition, but it's also a choice. And maybe it all comes comes back to the clock. If we weren't always feeling the pressure of time and we all took it down a few notches and we got together more over food, young and old, and thought about the things that really matter, maybe spent less time looking at our phones We might just go out and forage for local greens and eat more beans, eat less junk, and consequently get an extra decade of breathing. Is that how it is? Well, you know, I think it's it's more complex than that because the social structure is very different. People are connected to one another, and they're not they're connected in a deep way over generations. They're not connected because they're simply neighbors who might move away from one another. I mean, the family house is the family house for generation after generation after generation. Hmm. And those ties are deep and the bonds are deep. So for example, somebody like like myself who grew up in the United States, even even crossing you know, borders and continents, those ties are still deep. My childhood friends were all the the children of my parents' friends from Ikaria. My father was an immigrant. And our kids, in fact, are now friends. And the grandparents were friends. So this is, you know, these are ties that go last beyond, you know, one generation. And we know each other's stories and we know each other's histories and we know each other's relatives. There's a real sense of belonging, even in a community, even in the United States. You know, I, I, there's every year at Labor Day, there's the, the Panicarian Brotherhood of America has their annual convention. And I hadn't been in a long time. I went this year. It was in Pittsburgh, which was one of the oldest communities. Hmm. And in fact, that association is the oldest Greek association in the United States. But what was interesting to me was that there were about 3,000 people there from all over the United States. I would say at least least 60% of them, if not more, were under the age of 35. So we're talking about third, at least third generation, you know, Greek Americans, Icarian Americans, who still have this, this draw to the island. You know, that is very unique. I read your book yesterday, an absolutely delightful read. Your writing is so entertaining and clear. I put down the book and went to my grocery store, which, believe me, is nothing to write home about, and managed to make, yeah. and managed to make uh, spicy black-eyed peas and greens with smoked herring, except I used sardines instead. And my, okay. my family loved it, with the exception of my seven-year-old daughter, whose acceptance of new tastes is something we're working on daily. But the recipes in your book are really very simple. And that's just the point, isn't it? That's absolutely the point. Very simple. I mean, this is, you know, it's peasant cuisine. What, what I tried to do in the book, and in a way, the recipes fly in the face of many of the nutritional, you know, trends in the United States right now. For example, the potato, which has been so maligned in in America, was and still is a very important food on Icaria. But you have to take that in in its context because it's not, you know, we're not they're not eating potato chips. Um, they're eating potatoes in a much more wholesome way and. 
you also have to take it into the in in the context of the, the daily exercise that people are getting, which is not driving to the gym and working out, but working out in a subtle way all day by walking, gardening, dancing, uh, you know, all the activities that that people do participate in when they live in a more natural environment. Hmm. In that regard, it's not a diet book, you know, it's not it's not a low calorie recipe book and it's it wasn't meant to be i really wanted to look at what these people were eating at you know 40 50 60 years ago and a lot of the most of those recipes come from that era hmm. i found that there were so many dishes i wanted to make that i know i'll be working my way through this book in the years to come from things like the noodles with yogurt and herbs to the That's a great dish. <laughs> mm, it looked delicious. That's my next one, I think. And so simple. And the um, pork and collard green stew and everything in between. Because these are things we should be eating every day, not just when we want to make something extraordinary. It, wasn't that your aim? Absolutely. Yeah, this is this is everyday food. I mean, there are some festive dishes in there, but this is everyday food. And also, I mean, don't forget, this the meat dishes... Actually, the meat dishes were definite, are definitely meant to be more festive. Mm -hmm. If Again, if you take those recipes in the context of what people were eating you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, uh, meat was definitely not a daily uh, food. Right. You wrote that most meat in Ikaria, when it appeared on the plate at all, was seen not as the main ingredient, but more like a condiment, which is completely different than the way we think of meat here in America, where it is always front and center. And yet I get the feeling that being able to view it that way could be the answer to a lot of our problems that we face in our diets. This is something that I tried to propagate in my own work in the United States, getting people off meat in in, in many ways. I mean, I'm not a vegetarian, but I eat meat really, I, I think probably as frequently as, you know, my 98-year-old aunt used to eat it when she was younger, maybe, you know, twice a month, maybe. My husband's a vegetarian, so that that makes it easy mm -hmm. uh, not to, not to need meat every day. But meat was it was a special food. It was a festive food. You know, it wasn't something. It was expensive as it should be. Right. You know, there's now with all the climate change talk, the, the the you know meat production and consumption is is on the forefront of of issues that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. So I started at the first recipe, the Icarian style New York. Copanasti, which is a soft cheese that Icarians always have on hand, you said, like peanuts or chips, to offer, right. to offer to anyone who might stop by, and invariably someone on the island will stop by. The recipe calls for one-third of a cup of Greek extra virgin olive oil, and that's on page six. And I started turning the pages to see if I could find a recipe that didn't call for olive oil. And finally, I think it was around the mid-100s flipping through I gave up without finding one. <laughs> what does that say about the importance of olive oil to Icarians? Uh, I think it speaks tomes for the importance of olive oil. It was basically the only fat. There was another fat, which was, ironically enough, it was lard. Mm -hmm. But it was not, again, it has to be taken in, in its context. It was the butter of the poor. Mm. So a child's, you know, after school snack, maybe once a week might might have been a, a piece of home baked bread with a little bit of what they called a glina, which was lard, basically, and honey or sugar or petimezi, which is grape molasses. You know, that's a very nutrient dense snack. Mm. 
but olive oil was by far the absolute most important and nutritious food in their diet. Um, you know, don't forget also people people produce their own oil. Everybody's got a couple of trees, so their their yearly supply is taken care of, and it is much easier in you know in that respect to consume a lot of it. It's much less expensive, but it really is used in almost everything, even in sweets. And if you look through the sweets chapter, I'm sure you saw several desserts in which olive oil was was uh, is called for. I did. I couldn't find an Icarian olive oil anywhere in the marketplace. And by marketplace, I don't mean just my supermarket or the 700 oils I see each year at the New York International Olive Oil Competition that I organize. I mean Google, the ultimate listing of everything. It looks like not a single bottle of olive oil made in Icaria leaves its shores, except I'm sure in the luggage of visiting relatives. Is that how you see it over there? That, that's absolutely true. <laughs> it's, there's no commercial production of olive oil on the island. Uh, it's just not, it's not big enough. The production's not big enough. Um, there, there are one or two, there's local commercial production. In other words, you can go to one of the larger you know, farmers and get your yearly supply. But it's certainly not enough to, to supply us, you know, a store in the United States. Hmm. I was surprised to learn in your book that your oil is not made from the flagship Greek variety, Koroneki. It is a local variety called, uh, and help me with the, with the pronunciation, is it Androelia? Yeah, Androelia. It's a bigger olive. Mm-hmm. It means fat olive, right? It in, means fat olive. A variety that I've never heard of. Can you describe the taste? Is it as intensely fruity and spicy as the Koroneki? It's different. It's actually a little bit more acidic. Mm-hmm. A little bit heavier, I would say. You know, the Corneki does have a distinct fruitiness. It's not to say that Icarian olive oil isn't fruity, but it's a it's a denser flavor. I can't really describe it. It's it's a do they pick the olives more solid? Mm -hmm. Do they pick the olives more ripe than they might with the Corneki? Uh, are the olives uh, green when they pick them? Yes and no. It, you know, that's really depends on from person to person what they prefer mm -hmm. most most people are picking olives over the course of several months so in the beginning of the season obviously they're unripe and that oil is very different it's much pep more peppery and uh, has pungent and as the season goes on and the olives get bigger and some of them fall to the ground and bruise a little bit the, you know, the flavor is a little bit more acidic. So there are about 8,000 Icarians on the island, yet there is an enclave in Jackson Heights, Queens, which incidentally is where my grandparents first arrived from Holland. And I was surprised that such a small place would have a distant outpost in Queens. Are you aware of other commu Icarian communities throughout the United States, other large? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Port Jefferson, South Jersey, oh. Philadelphia, Detroit, Akron, Ohio, Pittsburgh, which is, you know, kind of mana. That's that was the heart for many years because the first immigrants uh, worked in the steel mills. Certain parts of California have Icarian communities, smaller Icarian communities. Uh, certain parts of Chicago, hmm. that those are the, the those are the places that immediately come to mind. But yeah, absolutely, Adelaide, Australia. So I'm curious how many of the habits from the island survive the move to the new rocky outpost on Northern Boulevard. I picture Icarians hunched over picking leafy greens and catching rabbits between the runways of LaGuardia Airport. No, it's not exactly that. It's more like like unabashed, you know 
partying when we get together. <laughs> so a lot of wine gets poured and a lot of good food gets eaten and a lot of dancing takes place. Um, and it's much more about that. It's about the social aspects more than more than anything else. Dancing throughout the night and throughout the years and uh, and Icarians living longer than anyone else. Uh, Icaria, lessons on food, life, and longevity from the Greek island where people forget to die is listed as the number one bestseller on Amazon under Greek cooking, and the reviews are all good, and I'd have to agree. Diane Kochilis, thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much, Curtis. Thank you so much. On Olive Oil is produced in New York by Olive Oil Times, the world's leading olive oil publication. To listen to past episodes, visit onoliveoil.com.